0: There's a place in our world where the known things go. A corridor of the mind. I haven't been down here in a while, but it's good to be back. Down here where the walls are lined with shelves, cluttered with proof, especially books. Huh, On the Origin of Species by Charles Darwin. Oh, and right next to that, The Menace of Darwinism by William Jennings Bryan. More of a pamphlet, really. Here's a skeleton of a chimpanzee, its bones held together by wire, like a necklace of beads. This place, this evidence room, stores the facts that matter, and matters of fact. It's all that stands between a reasonable doubt and the chaos of ignorance. It lies in a time between now and then. The sign on the door reads, The Last Archive. Step across the threshold to the little town of Dayton, Tennessee. Population a hair under 2,000 in the year 1925. There's an old guy playing the banjo.
3: The folks in are as faithful as can be, and they know the Bible teaches what is right. They
0: it's this is the start of what came to be known as the Monkey Trial. It's one of the most famous trials in American history. The defendant, John T. Scopes, a high school teacher, charged with the crime, a misdemeanor, of teaching the theory of evolution. A lot of people think the arguments in this trial marked a triumph of reason over superstition. Some of those people, okay, I confess, for a long time, I was one of them. Some of those people only really knew about this trial from a movie made about it in 1960 called Inherit the Wind. It starred Spencer Tracy as the heroic lawyer for the defense.
3: Fanaticism and ignorance is forever busy and needs feeding. And soon, Your Honor, we'll be marching backward through the glorious ages of that 16th century when bigots burned a man who dared bring enlightenment and intelligence to the human mind.
0: Inherit the Wind began as a play, written in 1955. The playwrights weren't really interested in the 1920s. They were interested in the 1950s and the political persecution of their day, McCarthyism. Me, I'm a historian. I'm interested in now, the 2020s, and the dilemmas of our day. So when I look at the 1920s, it looks to me as if what was on trial was skepticism itself and the role of doubt in a democracy. We're going to do our own reenactment. I don't know, call it Disinherit the Wind. One thing before we get started that you really need to know the Scopes trial, the monkey trial, it was a show trial. The platform had been built for movie cameras and seating for hundreds of spectators. 200 reporters were there, too. Telegraph wires had been laid across the floor for speedy reporting. H.L. Mencken, the famed newspaper man from the Baltimore Sun, was there, too, writing with his celebrated wit.
4: The two parties are at the farthermost poles of difference and leaning out into space. If one of them is right at all, then the other is wrong altogether.
0: Microphones and speakers had been installed so that all the people assembled outside could hear the goings-on. Also, this trial, not for nothing, was it called the trial of the century. It was the very first American trial ever broadcast live on the radio. It was a miracle of modern science. We're like moon men here, one of the radio announcers said. We're the radio guys from outer space. Back in 1925, the power of radio transmitters wasn't yet regulated, and the station broadcasting the Scopes trial had a signal so strong it could be heard by half the country.
3: This is WGN Chicago, the radio broadcast of the Chicago Tribune. WGN, the world's greatest newspaper.
0: I'm Jill Lepore. Welcome to the second season of The Last Archive, the world's greatest podcast, WGP. We're the show about how we know what we know and why it seems lately as if we don't know anything at all. And geez, maybe we never did. Last season was about truth and who killed it, a whodunit. We lined up the usual suspects, Facebook, Donald Trump, postmodernism. In the end, I argued that this case was like murder on the Orient Express. Everyone really had a hand in the killing. This season, we've got a new case. I'm gonna go back over the same decades, the last hundred years, and trace the instability of knowledge. Not so much who killed truth, but what fed doubt. This season is about a kind of questioning that began with skepticism and ended up a century later with people finding it hard to believe anything. How did that happen? In this season of The Last Archive, we watch a shadow grow and grow. The long, dark shadow of doubt.
3: Then till Dayton came a man With his new ideas so grand And he said we came from monkeys long ago But in teaching his beliefs the found only grief For they would not let their old religion go
0: Salesmen and quacks and all kinds of people who were just curious Came from all over the country to Dayton Setting up shop for the trial Lining the streets Some preached Some performed with trained monkeys The New York Times filed this report Whatever the deep
5: significance of the trial, if it has any, there is no doubt that it has attracted
0: some of the world's champion freaks. Three days before the trial, William Jennings Bryan, attorney for the prosecution, arrived by train. A crowd of thousands greeted him at the station. Waving to the throngs, Bryan doffed his hat, a pith helmet, to protect his bald head from the sun. He looked as if he were on safari. Clarence Darrow, attorney for the defense, arrived two days later. John Scopes, the defendant, met Darrow at the train station, but hardly anyone else was there except a few reporters and photographers. Very little of this was about Scopes, or even about the teaching of evolution, at least in one high school classroom in Tennessee. The trial was a test case, engineered by the ACLU. States around the country had been discouraging the teaching of evolution, the Tennessee legislature had been the first to ban it. The ACLU wanted to expose how that ban violated freedom of speech. Scopes himself was all but a bystander. He never took the stand. In our reenactment, I'll hardly have reason to mention him again. The trial was set to open on a Friday, 9 AM sharp.
2: Farmers and overalls from the hillside farms, silent, gaunt men, they occupied every seat and stood in the aisles and around the
0: walls of the room. By 8.45, every seat in the courtroom was filled. At home, all over the country, Americans switched on their radios. That's something to hold in your mind this season of doubt. Learning about the world in our own houses instead of going out into it to see things for ourselves. Elephant in the room here, we made this season of The Last Archive on lockdown during a pandemic year. Stuck at home for people who weren't health workers or teachers or other essential workers, most of what a lot of us learned about the world this year, we learned from inside our homes, online, on the internet. All this isolation and remoteness got me really interested in the work of mediation, a world mediated by technology. Mediation, that's what media does, that's what the word means. And learning about the world that way remotely turned out to be a big part of how I came to understand the history of doubt. We know what it's like now to check Twitter on your phone, to see the world so far away, but feel that it's so close. What was it like in 1925 to turn on the radio in your kitchen and hear a trial beaming in from Dayton, Tennessee?
6: Gentlemen and Mr. Attorney General, I am now calling for trial. The State of Tennessee versus John Thomas Scopes.
0: Scopes had been charged with violating a law that stipulated... Well, just listen to it.
6: Be it enacted by the General Assembly of the State of Tennessee that it shall be unlawful for any teacher to teach any theory that denies the story of the divine creation of man, as taught in the Bible, and to teach instead that man is descended from a lower order
0: of animals. So, hold on, this is tricky. Under the terms of Tennessee law, the prosecution didn't have to prove that Scopes had taught evolution. Scopes never denied that he had. The prosecution had to prove that the theory of evolution contradicts the Bible. Evolution is not truth, Brian planned to say on behalf of the prosecution. It is merely a hypothesis. It's millions of guesses strung together. But the Bible, Brian believed, was true. Not just parables, literally true. Somehow, this claim would have to be evaluated by a jury. One way to think about the modern era is that it dethroned God as the arbiter of truth and erected a new God, reason. The fact replaced the mystery. That, anyway, is what the scientific revolution and the Enlightenment tried to do, but always with a struggle, a struggle that never ended. Galileo said the earth revolved around the sun and not the other way around, and the Catholic Church accused him of heresy. He was tried and convicted and spent the rest of his life under house arrest for doubting the truth of religion. To a lot of people, the Scopes trial was a kind of retrial of Galileo, except they thought surely this time the reasonable person would not be sentenced and enlightenment would prevail. That's a lot of pressure to put on a misdemeanor case in a little town in Tennessee. Names were drawn from a hat. Both the prosecution and the defense could object to any three jurors without cause, but no more. When I listen to this part of the trial, I imagine Americans at home listening, wondering to themselves, would I be qualified to sit on that jury? Could I decide this case fairly? Picture Americans who teach Sunday school or said their prayers every night, or Americans who didn't believe in any god, who were atheists or agnostics. Whatever anyone's views on religion— In a democracy, everyone's supposed to be able to set all that aside. To sit on a jury, abide by the rules of evidence, and issue a verdict. Decide what's true and what's not true. But that depends on the jury. And Clarence Darrow, attorney for the defense, happened to be an expert on jury selection.
5: The more a lawyer knows of life, human nature, psychology, and the reactions of the human emotions... The better he is equipped for the subtle selection of his so called 12 men, good and true.
0: Darrow had a strategy for picking the perfect jury.
5: If a Presbyterian enters the jury box and carefully rolls up his umbrella and calmly and critically sits down, let him go. He is as cold as the grave.
0: Darrow was the most famous trial lawyer in the country. From the big city of Chicago, attorney for the damned, he was called. The hero to the poor, the oppressed, the beleaguered, and the falsely accused. He'd played a role in some 2,000 trials. In more than a third, he'd been paid nothing. As far as picking a jury goes, the trick, Darrow always said, was to only seat a man so likely to identify with your client that really he is trying himself. In Dayton, the court brought in a jury pool of 100 men, White men. None of these men had much in common with a high school biology teacher. They were mainly farmers. Some couldn't read. The first man stood up to be questioned. H.L. Mencken, the slick city reporter from Baltimore, picked up his pen and licked it with spit. Listen carefully, and you can hear the first volley in a culture war that is still reverberating today.
4: It will be no more possible in this Christian valley to get a jury unprejudiced against Scopes than would be possible in Wall Street to get a jury unprejudiced against the Bolshevik.
0: Darrow did his best to pull together a fair jury. By late afternoon, 12 men had been seated. They were sworn, and then court adjourned until Monday morning. Overhead, airplanes, little prop planes, flew north to deliver footage of the proceedings to cinemas to be shown as newsreels over the weekend. Sunday, though, was hardly a day of rest. The judge went to church. He and his wife sat in the front pew. Incredibly, and to you and me, scandalously, William Jennings Bryan, attorney for the prosecution, delivered the sermon, and he preached about the case.
7: The attorneys for the defense charge that our objection to expert testimony is an attempt to evade the issue.
0: William Jennings Bryan, Nebraska-born, a populist known as the Great Commoner. He wasn't much of a lawyer. He hadn't practiced law for more than 30 years at this point. Instead, he joined the prosecution's team because he was a celebrity. Bryan was a politician, a longtime presidential contender, a Democrat opposed to conservative Republican economic policy. He was also a fire-and-brimstone lay preacher, known as Mr. Fundamentalist. He'd led a national campaign against the teaching of evolution. He once told a political cartoonist,
7: You should represent me as using a double-barreled shotgun, fixing one barrel at the elephant as he tries to enter the treasury, and another at Darwinism, the monkey, as he tries to enter the schoolroom.
0: Brian, opposed to Republicanism and to Darwinism. Monday morning, the Scopes trial resumed. In that courtroom in Tennessee, just about everyone sided with Brian. They were pro-Bible and anti-evolution.
4: The basic issues of the case, indeed, seem to be very little discussed at Dayton. What interests everyone is its mere strategy. By what device, precisely, will Brian old Clarence Darrow? For no one here seems to doubt that Brian will win. That is, if the bout goes to a finish.
0: But remember, the audience for this trial wasn't only that courtroom in Dayton. It was also the millions of Americans tuning in at home. To that national audience, Darrow was making a point about the place of science in the American mind. Early on, he delivered a speech that kept everyone listening in glued to their radios.
5: Here, we find today as brazen and as bold an attempt to destroy learning as was ever made in the Middle Ages. And the only difference is we have not provided that they shall be burned at the stake. But there is time for that, Your Honor.
0: Darrow knew he had two audiences, the whole country and that jury of twelve men. He walked a tightrope. Mostly, though, he appealed to the nation.
5: The state of Tennessee, under an honest and fair interpretation of the Constitution, has no more right to teach the Bible as the divine book than that the Koran is one, or the Book of Mormons, or the Book of Confucius, or the Buddha, or the Essays of Emerson, or any one of the ten thousand books to which human souls have gone for consolation and aid in their troubles.
0: Tennessee's Constitution specifically protected religious freedom in language that borrowed very heavily from Virginia's Statute for Religious Freedom, which had been written by Thomas Jefferson.
5: Whereas almighty God hath created the mind free, no man shall be compelled to frequent or support any religious worship, place, or ministry
7: whatsoever.
0: So when Darrow said Tennessee couldn't require anyone to teach the Bible as a divine book, he had constitutional cause. Obviously, the Tennessee Legislature disagreed with them, or else they wouldn't have passed that evolution law. So Darrow had to go a lot further, and here he was talking to the jury.
1: What
5: is the Bible? Well, it is a book primarily of religion and morals. It is not a book of science. It never was and was never meant to be. It is not a textbook or a text on chemistry. It is not a work on evolution that was a mystery is not a work on astronomy. The man who looked out at the universe and studied the heavens had no thought but that the earth was the center of the universe. But we know better than that. They thought the sun went around the earth and gave us light and gave us night.
0: He's orating like a prophet, straight out of the King James Bible.
5: We know better I doubt if there is a person in Tennessee who does not know better. They told us the best they knew. But man finds out what he can and yearns to know more and supplements his knowledge with hope and faith.
0: Darrow talked about what was actually in the Bible, the story of Adam and Eve, and how much people disagreed about what the Bible even said. Different religions, different sects. There were so many just in Dayton. Then finally, he got to Scopes' crime, which he said, was no crime at all.
5: He taught the doctrine of evolution, which is taught by every, believed by every scientific man on Earth.
0: You could hear over the radio the sound of people trying to fan themselves, like so many bird wings flapping. Inside the courtroom, the temperature had risen to 100 degrees Fahrenheit. People's pants and skirts stuck to their seats. But they were glued there anyway, by Darrell's speech. He was two hours into it,
5: Your honor knows the fires that have been lighted in America to kindle religious bigotry and hate. You know that there is no suspicion which possesses the minds of men like bigotry and ignorance and hatred.
0: Here's the part, the big part, where Darrow says the lines that Spencer Tracy would later reenact in Inherit the Wind. The movie script, at least here, is straight from the trial transcript. And okay, it is a great speech—
5: Your Honor, it is the setting of man against man, and creed against creed, until with flying banners and beating drums, we are marching backward to the glorious ages of the 16th century, when bigots lighted faggots to burn the men who dared to bring any intelligence and enlightenment and culture to the human mind.
0: I'm all in. I suspect you're all in. Maybe the people listening to the radio in the big cities were all in too, but the audience in Dayton was not.
6: Court is adjourned until nine tomorrow morning.
4: Darrow's speech rose like a wind and ended like a flourish of bugles. The very judge on the bench began to look uneasy, but the morons in the audience, when it was over, simply hissed it.
0: Mencken was a mean bastard. He hated that crowd in Tennessee. He thought they were all idiots. He was just one voice, though. That day, telegraph operators wired more than 200,000 words from Dayton, setting a record.
4: During the whole time of Darrow's delivery, the old Mountbank, Brian, sat tight lipped and unmoved. There is, of course, no reason why it should have shaken him. He has these hillbillies locked up in his pen, and he knows it.
0: If you get your history only from H.L. Mencken, then Clarence Darrow was brilliant and William Jennings Bryan was a bigot. Mencken comes through loud and clear, but it can be hard to hear everyone else. That's why we're here in The Last Archive, to turn up the volume on the quieter voices.
8: Visit LiveNation.com slash concertweek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum41, 30 Seconds from Mars. Oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.
0: People have to believe something before they doubt it. Believe in gods, or one God, or karma, or the Torah, or the Quran, or the Bible. People believe. Then some people begin to doubt. Belief and doubt are partners, engaged in an endless ancient dance. Skepticism itself was an intellectual movement in ancient Greece. Every time a doubter is on trial, that trial has as its precedent one that took place more than 2,000 years ago in Athens.
6: Socrates is a doer of evil and corrupter of the youth, and he does not believe in the gods of the state, and he believes in other new divinities of his own.
0: Socrates, a philosopher, a teacher, had stood accused of doubt, because he had asked questions about the gods. He waged his own defense, and if convicted by the jury, hundreds of Athenians, he faced death.
5: I should like to know in what I am affirmed to corrupt the young. I do not as yet understand whether you affirm that I teach others to acknowledge some god, but they are not the same gods which the city recognizes. Or do you mean to say that I am a teacher of atheism? I mean that you are a
6: complete atheist.
0: Socrates argued that the prosecutor made a common error. He'd mistaken belief for knowledge. To believe is to know little. To doubt, though, is to know even less, except to have one very important bit of knowledge, knowledge that you don't know much. By way of illustration, Socrates told the court a story about meeting a man with a reputation for wisdom.
5: When I began to talk with him, I could not help thinking that he was not really wise, although he was thought wise by many, and wiser still by himself. So I left him, saying to myself as I went away, Well, although I do not suppose that either of us knows anything really beautiful and good, I am better off than he is, for he knows nothing and thinks that he knows. I neither know nor think that I know.
0: This, Socrates insisted, was what the charges against him really came down to. It's not that he didn't believe in the divinity of the sun or the moon, it's that he had demonstrated that people who were believed to be wise were ignorant and they hated him for it. The jury found Socrates guilty of impiety and corrupting the young and condemned him to death. In response, he imagined an afterlife in which he could further his inquiries by asking questions. Of the dead.
5: I shall be able to continue my search into true and false knowledge. For in that world, they do not put a man to death for this.
0: To doubt, to really doubt, is to admit what you don't know. In the case of Socrates, it's to admit it so wholly and so honestly that you're willing to die for it. Centuries later, in progressive-era America, Socrates had become something of a cult hero, a symbol of the defense of free inquiry. Even Time Magazine compared the Scopes trial to the trial of Socrates. But in Dayton, Tennessee in 1925, Clarence Darrow didn't say things like, I neither know nor think that I know. He knew what he knew, and he sought to defend his client the ordinary way, by casting doubt about the case made by the prosecution led by William Jennings Bryan. Darrow often did this by mocking Brian. So did H.L. Mencken, who called Brian an old buzzard.
4: It is a tragedy indeed to begin life as a hero and end it as buffoon. But let no one laughing at him underestimate the magic that lies in his black, malignant eye, his frayed but still eloquent voice. He can shake and inflame these poor ignoramuses as no other man among us can shake and inflame them and is desperately eager to order the charge.
0: On Thursday, the fifth day of the trial, Brian spoke at length for the first time in order to object to the defense's motion to bring in expert witnesses, scientists who could argue for the scientific consensus about the theory of evolution.
7: It is, I think, apparent to all that we have now reached the heart of this case. To permit an expert to testify upon this issue would be to substitute trial by experts for trial by jury, and to announce to the world your honor's belief that this jury is too stupid to determine a simple question of fact. There is not a scientist in all the world who can trace one single species to any other, and yet they call us. Ignoramuses and bigots, because we do not throw away our Bible. The one beauty about the Word of God is it does not take an expert to understand it.
0: Brian pointed out that the people of Tennessee had elected their legislature to enact their will. The people, he said, get to decide what's taught in schools, not experts.
7: An expert cannot be permitted to come in here and try to defeat the enforcement of a law by testifying that it is a bad law. The place to prove that or teach that was to the legislature.
0: On Friday, one week into the trial, the judge sustained Brian's objections.
6: The evidence of experts would shed no light on the issues. Therefore, the court is content to sustain the motion to exclude the expert testimony.
5: I do not understand why every suggestion of the prosecution should meet with an endless waste of time, and a bare suggestion of anything that is perfectly competent on
6: our part should be immediately overruled. I hope you do not mean to reflect upon the court. Well, your honor has the right to hope. I have the right to do something else, perhaps.
0: The judge would cite Darrow for contempt. Darrow would apologize. Meanwhile, the two prize fighters went back to their corners. This is how a show trial works. Trials are imperfect means of reaching the truth. But this show trial was also a culture war. And a culture war really never arrives at the truth because its combatants are only interested in the glory of the skirmish. They like to hear the sound of their own voices on the radio. Every move, every maneuver in a culture war makes things worse. The next bout was slated to begin on Monday morning. On Saturday, Darrow, deprived of his team of expert scientists, told a friend that he decided he needed only one witness to prove his case.
5: I'm going to put a Bible expert on the stand about day after tomorrow. Greatest in the world, he thinks. A masterstroke. Never mind about the master stuff. And don't talk so loud, too many reporters around here.
0: If Darrell couldn't bring in scientists to prove the truth of doubt, he could bring in a believer to prove the error of faith. The defense called to the stand its surprise witness, William Jennings Bryan, the old buzzard himself.
1: As listeners to this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet?
0: On Monday morning, the beginning of the second week of the Scopes trial, the courthouse was so crowded, it was feared the floor might collapse. So the judge moved the trial outdoors, to the lawn, under a giant tent. And then Darrow announced that he planned to call Brian to the stand as a witness the defense. As word spread, the crowd grew from five hundred to more than three thousand.
6: Where do you want me to sit? Mr. Bryan, you are not objecting to going on the stand? Not at all. Do you want Mr. Bryan sworn? No, I can make an
7: affirmation. I can say, so help me, God, I will tell the truth. No, I take it you will tell the truth, Mr. Bryan.
5: You have given considerable study to the Bible, haven't you, Mr. Bryan?
7: Yes, sir, I have tried to. I have studied the Bible for about 50 years. Do you claim that everything in the Bible should be literally interpreted? I believe everything in the Bible should be accepted as it is given there. Some of the Bible is given illustratively. For instance, ye are the salt of the earth. I would not insist that a man was actually salt or that he had flesh of salt, but it is used in the sense of salt as saying God's people."
0: Darrow asked Brian whether the whale really swallowed Jonah. That sort of thing. He asked him when the flood happened and whether it really wiped out every living thing except for Noah and his wife and the animals on his ark. Mainly, Brian said he didn't know anything but what was in the Bible, and he wasn't curious about anything else either.
2: Mr. Bryan's complete lack of interest in many of the things closely connected with such religious questions, as he had been supporting for many years, was strikingly shown again and again by Mr. Darrow.
0: Okay, so Brian didn't have a lot of intellectual curiosity. But mocking him, the way a lot of newspaper reporters did, the way Darrow did, was also wildly unfair. It misses most of what's worth knowing here. Long before William Jennings Bryan became famous as a fundamentalist, long before the Scopes trial, he'd been a reformer, a defender of the poor. Even Darrow had supported him back then. Bryan had nearly been elected president. He'd run three times. Also, he didn't hate science. He hated Darwinism. But he reserved his special censure for a particular kind of Darwinism, social Darwinism. The idea that, among humans, it's right that only the fit survive. In a speech he gave countless times, Brian explained his position on evolution.
7: I object to Darwinian theory because I fear we shall lose the consciousness of God's presence in our daily life if we must accept the theory that through all the ages, no spiritual force has touched the life of a man and shaped the destiny of nations. But there is another objection. The Darwinian theory represents man as reaching his present perfection by the operation of the law of hate, the merciless law by which the strong crowd out and kill off the weak.
0: In other words, social Darwinism implied that the poor were unfit and that they deserved to be poor. In a speech called The Menace of Darwinism, Brian laid out his support for a raft of progressive reforms that aimed to check the very idea that only the fittest should survive.
7: Pure food laws have become necessary to keep manufacturers from poisoning their customers. Child labor laws have become necessary to keep employers from dwarfing the bodies, minds, and souls of children.
0: That biology textbook that Scopes used in his classroom Its discussion of evolution also happened to endorse the forced sterilization of people like epileptics, the mentally ill, and those who were called feeble-minded.
3: If such people were lower animals, we would probably kill them off to prevent them from spreading. Humanity will not allow this, but we do have the remedy of separating the
4: sexes in asylums or other places, and in various ways preventing intermarriage and the possibility of perpetuating such a low and degenerate race.
0: That's textbook social Darwinism, eugenics. In 1921, when Kentucky's Baptist Board of Missions called for a law to ban the teaching of evolution, Bryan decided to wage a national crusade. He saw, in secular modernity, the end of Christian sympathy, compassion, and charity. Four years later, in 1925, Bryan's crusade brought him to the Scopes trial, where he squared off against Clarence Darrow.
5: Mr. Brian, could you tell me how old the
7: earth is? No, sir, I couldn't.
0: The Tennessee Attorney General leapt from his chair and interrupted. He begged for this to stop. What is the purpose of all of this? But Brian was delighted to have the chance to answer for both the court and the jury, and the listeners across the country tuned into their radios.
7: The purpose is to cast ridicule on everybody who believes in the Bible. And I am perfectly willing that the world shall know that these gentlemen have no other purpose than ridiculing every Christian who believes in the Bible.
5: We have the purpose of preventing bigots and ignoramuses
7: from controlling the education of the United States and you know it. I am simply trying to protect the word of God against the greatest atheist or agnostic in the United States. I want the papers to know that I am not afraid to get on the stand in front of him and let him do his worst. I want the world to know.
0: The judge let it go on. The audience sweated and swatted at flies. The sun bore down. The telegraph machines clattered. Daryl kept questioning Brian. How long had it taken God to create the earth and everything in it? Seven days?
5: Have you any idea of the length of these periods? No, I don't. Do you think the sun was made on the fourth day? Yes. And they had an evening and morning without the sun? I am simply saying it is a period. They had an evening and
7: morning for four periods without the
5: sun, do you think?
7: I believe in creation as they're told, and if I'm not able to explain it, I will accept
0: it. Was everything in the Bible true? Or was it worth doubting? Or had Darrow gone far past doubting the Bible and into mocking people who believe it?
7: The only purpose Mr. Darrow has is to slur the Bible.
5: I object to your statement. I am examining your fool ideas that no intelligent Christian on earth believes.
0: Cool ideas like if in the beginning there was only Adam and Eve and they had two sons where did Cain find a mate
7: did you ever discover where Cain got his wife no sir I leave the agnostics to hunt for her there were no others recorded but Cain got a wife that is what the Bible says
0: the judge asked the jury to ignore all of Brian's testimony Darrow declined to make a closing argument what else was there to say That meant that Brian couldn't make one, either. The jury then took nine minutes to deliberate. It found Scopes guilty of a misdemeanor under state law. The judge fined him $100.
4: Nara had lost his case. It was lost long before he came to date. But it seems to me that he has nevertheless performed a great public service by fighting it to a finish and in a perfectly serious way. It serves notice on the country that Neanderthal man is organizing in these forlorn backwaters of the land, led by a fanatic, a of sense, and devoid of conscience.
0: It had been, and was always meant to be, a show trial. Even though Daryl lost, the trial did what the ACLU wanted. It got progressives worried about fundamentalists. But what had the trial actually shown? That a gulf was growing between believers and skeptics. That gulf has grown wider since. Contempt, though, is not progress or enlightenment or a march toward some glorious, tolerant new world. It's just a dumbass culture war.
3: You may find a new belief It will only bring you grief For a house that's built on sand shore sure to fall And wherever you may turn there's a lesson you will learn That the old religion's better after all
0: Five days after the close of the Scopes trial, William Jennings Bryan died in his sleep. It was as if fending off Clarence Darrow had sapped the very life out of him. All around the country, people tried to make sense of the trial of the century. One journalist, Walter Lippman, decided the best way to reckon with the implications of the trial was to imagine Brian in the afterlife. Lippmann pictured Brian meeting up there with Socrates and Thomas Jefferson. Crazy mashup, right? But so cool. Also, very last archive. And remember, Socrates always said that in the afterlife he'd be very excited to continue his inquiry into the nature of belief. Here's how Lipman thought their conversation might go. Socrates speaks first.
5: I shall ask you a few questions. Mr. Jefferson can answer them all. Were you not, Mr. Jefferson, accused of being an enemy
7: of religion? That is a foolish question. You may not know it, Mr. Socrates, but he was twice President of the United States. I was denounced as an atheist by many good people.
5: Were you an atheist? No, but I disestablished the church in Virginia. On what theory?
0: Socrates was asking Jefferson about Virginia's Statute for Religious Freedom, which Jefferson had written, and which had found its way into the Tennessee Constitution, too.
5: Let us be frank. Did you not overthrow a state religion based on revelation and establish in its place the religion of rationalism? It's getting very warm in here.
0: Questioned relentlessly by Socrates, this is what's called the Socratic method. It was getting pretty hot up there for Jefferson, too. I mean, within the context of this truly weird, but also great imaginary scene set in the afterlife, Because here's the problem with doubt. It's not the absence of belief. Skepticism is a belief in inquiry. And belief in inquiry is foundational to the United States. That's how a democracy works. But Socrates kept on pressing Jefferson about the limits of his tolerance for any belief other than the belief in reason. Couldn't skepticism become its own religion? Jefferson had established a public school and a university to teach knowledge as acquired by the use of reason, a rejection of knowledge as revealed by God. But Socrates kept asking him questions.
5: And did your taxpayers believe that the best knowledge could be acquired by human reason? Some believed it. Some preferred revelation. And which prevailed? Those who believed in the human reason. Were they the majority of the citizens? They must have been. The legislature accepted my plans. You believe, Mr. Jefferson, that the majority should rule? Yes, providing it does not infringe the natural rights of man.
0: If you believe in majority rule, a system of government where the people get to decide what's true, what happens when the people are just wrong? Then Socrates turned to a very sweaty William Jennings Bryan, who must have seen where all this was going, toward a seemingly unresolvable conflict between fundamental American principles. Majority rule and the freedom of thought
5: did you say you believe in the separation of church and state
7: i did it is a fundamental principle is the right of the majority to rule a fundamental principle it is
5: is freedom of thought a fundamental principle jefferson it is well how would you gentlemen compose your fundamental principles if a majority Exercising its fundamental right to rule. Ordain that only Buddhism should be taught in public schools. I'd move to a Christian country. I'd exercise the sacred right of revolution. What would you do, Socrates? I'd re-examine my fundamental principles.
0: And that's what we'll be up to, too, in this season of Doubt. Re-examining our fundamental principles. Episode after episode, from hypnosis to propaganda to conspiracy theories. QAnon, your decade will come too, as we crawl into the deeper, darker recesses of The Last Archive. The Last Archive is written and hosted by me, Jill Lepore. It's produced by Sophie Crane McKibben and Ben Nadefhaffrey. Our editor is Julia Barton. And our executive producer is Milo Bell. Martine Gonzalez is our engineer. Fact checking by Amy Gaines, original music by Matthias Bossi and John Evans of Stellwagen Symphonet. Our research assistants are Olivia Oldham and Oliver Riskincuts. Kutz. Our foolproof players are Yoshi Amau, Raymond Blankenhorn, Matthias Bossi, Dan Epstein, Ethan Hirschenfeld, Becca A. Lewis, Andrew Parella, Robert Ricotta, and Nick Saxton. The Last Archive is a production of Pushkin Industries. At Pushkin, thanks to Jacob Weisberg, Heather Fain, John Schnars, Carly Migliori, Christina Sullivan, Eric Sandler, Emily Rostick, Maggie Taylor, Maya Koenig, and Daniela Lacan. Special thanks to Simon Leake and Oliver Leake. Thanks also to Edward J. Larson for his incredible book, Summer for the Gods, and for answering questions about the trial for this episode. Many of our sound effects are from Harry Jeanette Jr. and the Star Jeanette Foundation. If you like the show, please remember to rate, share, and review. To find more Pushkin Podcasts, listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Jill Lepore.
7: The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you, and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobilecom mobilecom unconventional awards. See you there.
8: Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 seconds from Mars. Oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.
2: Are the old world, picturesque shores of Europe calling you? Set sail on an adventure with Avalon Waterways. Enjoy an elevated cruising experience.